Hello there and a very warm welcome to the third episode of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shailath and I'm delighted to be joined uh, by ben, ben Griffiths once again. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about these fixtures. How are you doing, Neil? I'm good. I'm good. As you say, loads of games. Uh, so to cover them alongside you, we've got Rafael Adelukba. How are you doing, Rafael? I'm good, Neil. Um, I hope you and Ben are all right. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into this episode. Right. As uh, the guy said, we're really excited to get into this episode because there's tons of games from all over the world, including uh, loads of cup matches, uh, international tournament in Asia, as I said, cups in from China to Chile to Spain, obviously loads of league matches, especially in Europe. And we'll also be briefly mentioning some other stuff, again, going over some more transfers. And then right at the end, we'll tell you what's coming up in the week. So without further ado, let's get into things. All right. Uh, in the last episode, uh, or last Friday, we started by talking about the first leg of the AFF Championship final. And now let's start uh, by talking about the second leg, which just ended a couple of hours ago. Uh, ben was watching that game. What did you see, Ben? Yeah, so I know in the, the, the last episode, I talked about how frantic, how exciting the first leg was. And the second leg uh, probably wasn't as much so. Um, so first leg was 2-2 draw. Uh, and then this this uh, second leg was a one nil win for Thailand. So Thailand ended up they win the AFF Championship. This is now back to back victories for them. They won the last edition in for the twenty the twenty twenty, which I believe was in twenty twenty one. So they've won back to back now. Uh, they scored a twenty fourth minute goal from Tiertan Bumatan, who, if you remember from last episode, assisted both of the goals in the first leg. Uh, and so this time, as opposed to assisting, he was finishing. So he's definitely, he's the captain. He's their creator. He's, he's pretty much everything for them. He's all over the pitch. Um, that was the, probably the most exciting part of the game. There was a little bit of, of, um, little fisticuffs. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, definitely with the two rivals coming in on a must win game for both of them, there's going to be something. So that was probably the other talking point. And, uh, Vietnam didn't really try to get into anything past probably second gear. It was kind of interesting to see because after Thailand scored the goal, they then, because the away goals rolled, they pretty much needed either a 2-2 draw to bring in the extra time or they needed uh, to win by a goal to win the tournament. But they weren't really pushing too much uh, is is what I saw. So it was, if I were to recommend one of the games to someone, I'd probably say the first leg, especially that second half of the first leg. Um, but the goal was was really well done. Thailand are a very tactical side. They're very tactically driven. Uh, their, their head coach, Mano Polking, he's been around the region for a long time and has made his name uh, for just really getting the most out of his players. Uh, and tactically, that that's the way they do it. They were able to break down Vietnam's midfield block uh, from their, their front five, basically the midfield three and front two. They pushed Thailand out wide, and then the, the Thai player, Pyridol, was able to almost pull a messy like movement and just walk into space that will be dangerous. Thailand moved the ball out wide. They then are able to pass to him when they, they shift the midfield block over. They pass to him. He then moves up with uh, into Vietnam's defensive line, opens up even more space for Tiraton to come up from deep and pick his spot because he's completely unmarked. Um, very tactically well-worked goal that to me is the, the main moment of this match. Uh, Pyridol ended up getting a red card at the end for a second yellow and when I mean the last action of the game, it was quite literally the last action of the game. The only thing after that was the free kick taken. So mainly a cosmetic red. Um, and yeah, I would say that Thailand are probably favorites coming in uh, to the tournament. Vietnam are higher ranked in FIFA, but I think Thailand were uh, in terms of the, the the manager and the players, probably the, the ones that people would have picked. Um, Vietnam made some changes ahead of this match that the fans, I think, were questioning before. It didn't work out, obviously. They lost the game, um, and then they lost the title. So 
Uh, Mono Polking, uh, Thailand's manager, is I believe now the first manager to win back-to-back AFF championships, um, and so it's it's really a dynasty now that he's in charge of in terms of the the Southeast Asian region with Thailand. Is uh, so outside of the game itself, there's a lot more talking points that we can probably mention going forward now into the future uh, with more tournaments. Yep, definitely. I, I I should say the AFF championship was really fun to watch overall. I, I wasn't watching it too closely. I was more I guess you could say like vibes watching. Like I was just watching for the fun of it, and I think I really enjoyed it. Yeah, as you said, probably second leg of the final wasn't the best game of the tournament, but it was a really good tournament overall. And uh, congratulations to Thailand, of course. Uh, but but course, let, yeah. let's stay in Asia, uh, Ben, and let's stay with you because uh, you've also got something uh, from China for us, where they had uh, the FA Cup final this weekend. Yeah, How did that go. Yeah, so uh, so the FA Cup final for China was now it was I think it was supposed to be earlier in the year, I guess technically 2022. They've had a lot of um, pauses in league play and FA Cup play and stuff like that. So it's now taking place in 2023. Uh, so it looked really chilly. Uh, I don't think the players might have been the warmest on the pitch, but the FA Cup was Shandong Taishan won and they beat Zhejiang Professional. Zhejiang Professional were looking for their first ever major trophy. Uh, they I think they were newly promoted ahead of this season from the second tier and they made it to the then the final of this tournament um Shangdan Taishan which is actually Maron Fellaini's club but he hasn't played in any of the cup games at all this this campaign I'm not entirely sure why um and I know that I just saw this morning there are questions of if he's going to stay at the club uh, but it but it is his his team they have a really strong team um they won the second FA Cup in a row so they also won last season they beat uh Zhejiang Professional 2-1 um and are able to now defend the title this is the first time i believe in the history of the chinese fa cup that a team has defended their title um so definitely in terms of this tournament more of a dynasty for them that that will be interesting to follow next season and going forward but uh definitely a decent match um with some goals and a little bit of sloppy play at times from what i was seeing but i think that it looks like the better team did win and it is a bummer that uh, Zhejiang Professional couldn't get their first trophy, but it's a huge congratulations to uh, a team that now is the first team to defend uh, this this trophy. Yeah, and I, I guess we should also use this opportunity opportunity to mention uh, Wuhan Three Towns, who of course won the league last season, and also they too were, I mean, last season, 2022. And of course, they too uh, were a newly promoted team uh, in that season. I think they won like back-to-back promotions from like the third tier to the second tier believe so yeah and then uh, they won the title last season although uh, the the last match was pretty anticlimactic because both they and the team who were in second uh, had their matches cancelled because of uh, covid cases in the opposition camps so both were awarded wins so it was a really close title race but then obviously an anticlimactic end uh, but Wuhan three towns won the league and as Ben mentioned there uh, Shandong uh, Taishan won the FA Cup all right, uh, let's let's go straight over to Chile, where they also had the cup. They had the Super Copa, which marks the start of the season uh, in that in the country. So this is the first match of 2023. It featured Colo Colo, which is probably the most famous Chilean club, certainly the most successful based on league titles, and they were of course uh, the defending champions. And they came uh, up against uh, Magallanes, who uh, are one of the one of the most, I'd say, historic clubs uh, in Chile. In fact, they won the first three league titles uh, back in the 1930s. But, uh, well, their, their last off-flight appearance was in uh, 1986, after which they were relegated. And then they've been spending, they've been down in the lower tier since then. They um, they were down in the third tier as recently as 2010, I believe. Uh, and they were not in the top flight last year either. But uh, they, they did win the Copa Chile. Uh, which is, of course, the cup competition. And the Supercopa is the league winners versus the cup winners, which is why they were in this game. Uh, and also, at the same time, they also won uh, the second division. So they're promoted uh, back to the first division again. And they'll be making their first top-flight appearance uh, in about uh, almost 40 uh, years now, uh, so like about next week or something. Uh, and also, by virtue of winning co- the Copa Chile, they'll be playing in the Copa Libertadores for, I believe, just their second time uh, in their history. So uh, a really great time for Magallanes. And and they did win uh, the Supercopa as well. They got off to a winning start. Uh, Colo Colo did score first uh, in the 22nd minute or something, I believe. But Magallanes uh, quickly equalized. And there were no more goals uh, till 90 minutes. No extra time. So straight to penalties. 
uh, and Magallanes, who who won uh, the cup quarterfinal and uh, the final uh, last season on penalties, uh, prevailed again. Three uh, four uh, was the final score on penalties. So congratulations to Magallanes as well, and we will be keen to see how they fare uh, in uh, in the top flight in the Primera uh, in Chile. Uh, but yeah, g- good start to the season there. Um, well, l- 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 let's stay in with Super Cups, but let's let's move over to Spain, where there was a small matter. Of, of an El Clasico Super Cup. Uh, Rafael was watching, watching that. How did that go? Yeah, um, as El Clasicos go in the post-Messi and Ronaldo era, this was one of the more entertaining ones, uh, I must say, despite it being more one-sided um, than you'd expect. Um, I'd probably say Gavi was the star of the show, playing in a more unorthodox left-wing position, um, but it seems a positional change to a more advanced position was the difference maker in this game. Um, he was involved in all three goals, sliding the pass Portois in a, in composed fashion from Lewandowski passing the first one and then returning the favour from the second. Um, as as for, for third, he was able to um, put in Pedri inside the box. Uh, he was sensationally good, Gavi. Um, people, people usually say with Gavi, he lacks the technical ability to be put on the pedestal, such as Pedri and Musiala. But yesterday, he simply technically was probably one of the, was the best player on the pitch for me. You know, he showed his technical prowess. And yeah, goal and two assists in a cup final is a statement performance from him. Um, for Madrid, if it wasn't for Courtois, they probably would have been embarrassed, like literally embarrassed. He made a really good save for Dembele in the second half, obviously before... Barcelona scored. He made a really good save with his leg um, from a Lewandowski shot inside the box. And Madrid just looked completely off in transition. Um, that's Barca's first trophy post-Messi, actually, um, which is which seemed really needed if they were to kick on under Xavi. So um, they'll be really happy about that. And as for Madrid, they're just going to have to look back into the league and try to catch up to Barcelona first. Yeah, as you say, uh, Barcelona's first trophy post-Messi and also Xavi's first as, as their manager. Uh, a huge victory for them. And of course, as you say, uh, they'll be looking to win La Liga mainly, uh, which where they have a three-point lead. Uh, but speaking of La Liga, there was uh, a big game in the league as well this weekend. Uh, the Basque derby uh, between Real Sociedad, who are the best of the rest uh, this season, as in uh, their third, and Athletic Club, who are also pretty impressive. They're also challenging for uh, Europe. So it was it was a really interesting game, uh, two fierce rivals, uh, and it ended three one in Real Sociedad's favor. Uh, it wasn't the closest of games. Um, I think uh, towards the end, certainly uh, Sociedad benefited uh, from well, let's say a, a contentious decision uh, at the hour mark when uh, an Athletic Club uh, defender Yeray Alvarez was sent off for a, a supposed last man foul inside the box which resulted in a penalty, which Sociedad scored to get their 3-1 lead. And then there's the player advantage. So they saw off uh, the win relatively comfortably. But uh, before that, uh, Alexander Sirloth and uh, Take Kubo scored for them. Uh, Sunset, Ojan Sunset pulled one back for Athletic Club just before halftime. But uh, it wasn't uh, they couldn't get anything away uh, from this game. So now they are nine points uh, behind Sociedad in the table. They've slipped down to eighth. And Sociedad, meanwhile, are, as I said, up in third, seven points clear of uh, Atletico Madrid, who are fourth and who did uh, who failed to win, actually, this weekend. And just three behind Real Madrid, actually, although they have played uh, one more game. But still, that's, that's mightily impressive uh, for Real Sociedad. They're having a great season and challenging for uh, Champions League football. Uh, speaking of challenging for Champions League football, let's go to uh, the Netherlands, uh, where there was a big result in uh, the Eredivisie uh, on Saturday uh, when defending champions Ajax played a goalless draw uh, with FC Twente, who were just one point behind them uh, going into this match. Uh, Ajax uh, had Divine Wrench uh, sent off in the first half, so they were they played most of the match uh, down to 10 men, but uh, Twente couldn't score, so both sides could only come away with a point, which will be rather disappointing. Uh, Twente, of course, uh, as I said, just one behind them, so they are very much in the race for Europe. But for Ajax, that's now four league draws in a row and five games without a win. So their form is 
pretty concerning even on the other side of the World Cup break when they had perhaps time to recover or uh, make some adjustments. But uh, this was the first time in 38 Eredivisie games when they failed to score. But perhaps more concerningly, their first league clean sheet in 10 games. So their uh, title defence is not going swimmingly right now. Of course, they have a four-season streak of winning the Eredivisie. But if they want to make it five in a row, they have some work to do because uh, they are a fair way behind uh, Feyenoord. Uh, five points, in fact. And Feyenoord, of course, uh, won this weekend. 3-0 against uh, Groningen. Uh, and among the goals was uh, Orkan Kyokchu, who we've uh, previously mentioned on this podcast. Scored a lovely goal for their second. Uh, but uh, elsewhere, Ajax will be pleased to know that uh, at least uh, one of their other rivals, uh, PSV, also dropped points in a 2-2 draw against uh, Fortuna Sittard, who are uh, battling relegation. And, and this was quite a match too, because uh, Sittard scored, uh, Fortuna Sittard scored first, but then they had a player sent off in the second half. Uh, PSV scored twice, they took the lead and it looked for, uh, well, it looked pretty clear that they would easily uh, go on to collect all three points. But deep, deep into stoppage time, way in the 99th minute, uh, Fortuna Sittard had a penalty, uh, which they won. And, and that was converted by uh, Burak Yilmaz. Uh, who you might have heard of for his uh, exploits at Lille when they won the title back in 2020. Uh, so that that leaves them only level on points with Ajax uh, and so five behind uh, leaders Feyenoord. AZ have moved up to second, uh, but they, they only have one more point than the two, uh, two teams behind them. So Feyenoord are sitting pretty at the top of the table and they look to be serious title contenders uh, in the Netherlands this year. But let's move over uh, to Belgium uh, next to the Netherlands, where there was a game which in almost any season uh, other than this one would have been a pivotal match in the title race. But but this time, neither team seems to be close. I'm, of course, talking about uh, what they call uh, De Klassiker, uh, which is uh, Club Brugge versus uh, Anderlecht. But uh, it ended in a 1-1 draw after a game which... Well, Klub certainly dominated the match. They had by far the better chances. I think uh, if you look at the uh, final XG, it was something like 2.36 in their favour to barely even 0.2 for Anderlecht. But well, they couldn't score. So only a point for both sides. And and that leaves both of them in uh, pretty difficult situations uh, at the moment. I think Ben's been following their seasons. So Ben, could, could you just explain where they are right now and what this, what this result means for them. Yeah, so, yeah, like you said, normally this would be a, a really pivotal match, but I think we we finish it with um, both teams probably almost worse off. Even though neither team lost, of course, both teams might be worse off because if we look at starting with, with Club Brugge, we're having them one point ahead. They're in fourth right now, one point ahead of Genk. So they are just in, so the way the Belgian uh, system works is they have the top four make the playoff one, and then five through eight make playoff two. So Hent is in uh, fifth right now with 34 points, and Buha has 35 points in fourth. So they're they're very close to to dropping into that second playoff spot, and we're after 20 uh, 20 matches now. So there's a li- just a little bit over uh, halfway season done. So they do have some time to recover, but they haven't shown much to say that they're going to recover soon. That's now winless in five. At this point of the season, last year after 20 matches, they had lost two games. They've now lost five games and are currently winless in five. So really night and day from last season to this season. Underlecht, on the other hand, are 12th, uh, and they are right now in in no man's land. Uh, so they are currently six points off of St. Trouden that are in eighth. That's that final uh, playoff two spot. They're also then seven points from Ostenda, who are in 16th, which is a relegation spot. So they're as close to a playoff spot as they are to a relegation spot, pretty much. And I would say Anderlecht would probably not get relegated, but you never know what's going to happen. Um, they haven't shown a lot this season uh, that that says they're probably even going to get to the playoff spot in my mind. If they continuously have poor performances, if they get a little bit worse, I would not doubt if the fans have a lot more to say, potentially even on the pitch, which could hurt their results because it could have even more matches be called in favor of the opposition because unelect fans are on the pitch, causing the game to get called off, which, as we know, we talked about last episode, has already happened once this season. It could happen again if they continuously perform at this poor level. So we And again, they're as close, pretty much as close to the relegation spots as they are from the playoff spots. So it's 
really not great for either team to not win this game. So it's it, it definitely was, um, it's not anticlimactic in the result, but more of uh, both teams probably feel like they lost. Yeah, and you spoke of the fans. Yeah, I, I think on the broadcast, there was a, a great banner shown. I think it was uh, obviously show, uh, by the Club Brugge fans, which read, uh, at least we can afford a jacuzzi, uh, which, is, which of course they were uh, referencing. So wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were referencing, of course, the, the financial troubles that Anderlecht find themselves in. And uh, I think midweek, they released a statement, which, I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but effectively said, we're broke. Don't expect much of us because uh, they're in lots of financial troubles. I think before that, the fans uh, released like an open letter, which asked for the president to resign after all the mismanagement uh, that's gone on. Uh, but yeah, basically tr- troubling times uh, at Anderlecht. Uh, and well, as you said, Bruja were, well, I think this time last season as well, they were, they were not first, they were second, as you said, they were behind in the title race, perhaps not favorites. Uh, and then obviously they changed managers, although that time they didn't sack their manager, but Philippe Clement was uh, hired by Monaco. Uh, but well, perhaps it was for the best because they went on to win. So let's see if they, if they can uh, repeat that trick. Uh, but, but let's move on for now. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about some top five league action. I think there were big games uh, all over the place, uh, including France, uh, where the league leaders suffered another defeat. Uh, Rafael was watching uh, Ren versus PSG. What did you see in that game, Rafael? Yeah, um, it seems like PSG are involved in one of these games every odd every odd month, really. Um, it was the same again. They come into this fixture as favourites, heavy favourites, actually. 13 points clear of Rennes at the top of the table. But as we've seen many times this season, we actually seen it in the last away game against Angers. Uh, the home crowd are off for it. The home team have nothing to lose. PSG are coming to town. And PSG being lackadaisical in their play. And it was a perfect combination for a Rennes upset. And that is what we've seen today. As a neutral watching this, it was actually a great to see Rennes field seven players born in this century. Born in 2000 or later. Uh, one of them being midfielder Desia Du, who was 17. Um, he's incredible to watch he really just has i don't want to compare him to kamavinga but it's hard not to compare him to kamavinga who was at Rennes a couple of years ago he uses that kind of quality on the ball but also that kind of um experience that you wouldn't see in such a young player um but it was captain and 30 year old one of the senior people one of the senior men in the team amari triore who was able to finish inside the box um from a nice Rennes move. Uh, and this leaves Rennes fifth in league on. Uh, they're joined on points with fourth place Monaco and only five points away from Marseille in third. Um, it would be nice to see uh, such a young group of um, players finish back to back in, in league on. And it would be nice to see this Rennes team really kick on as a young, as a young group. For so PSG, um, they looked a lot more threatening once Mbappe came on, um, he's now finally back into the fold. And once he was introduced, they looked like they were threatening to to get back into the game and, and potentially win it. But um, that wasn't the case. And again, if PSG are going to do anything significant domestically or even especially in Europe, Mbappe is going to be heavy part of it. Yeah, and... Uh, this is, I think, their uh, second away defeat in a row for them. Uh, two losses in three in the league, and now they only have a three-point lead uh, over second-place loss. But of course, they're still by far the clear title favourites, but maybe, maybe, maybe we might just have a close title race uh, in France once again. Uh, but uh, let me just quickly mention something happening at the bottom of the table, uh, where uh, Strasbourg, who, who were quite impressive last season actually, uh, challenged really uh, well for Europe, just about missed out in the end, but a really impressive campaign from them nonetheless. Uh, but this season, they're having a terrible time. They, they start this weekend in the relegation zone. Uh, just about a week ago, they, stacked, uh, they sacked uh, Julien Stéphane, who was the, their manager last season when they had that impressive campaign that I mentioned. Uh, and uh, the interim charge has been taken by his uh, assistant, uh, Mathieu Lescornet. Uh, and well, they finally got their second win of the season against uh, uh, Lyon, who are, of course, uh, much higher than them in the table. They're uh, in ninth currently, they, perhaps a bit lower than they would like to be as well. But 
European challengers uh, still. So a great result for Strasbourg, uh, which has pulled them out of the relegation zone. They're up to 16th. Of course, this season in Liga, four teams uh, will be going down because uh, the division will be trimmed from 20 teams to 18 teams. So four will go down. Only the top two uh, in Ligue 2 will come up. So an, an important uh, well, a, a season where the relegation battle will be even more tense than uh, you'd usually expect. So it's, it's really important to get points on the board as much as possible. And Strasbourg finally out of the relegation zone, but only on goal difference, they're level on points with the teams in 17th and 18th. So, so they're still very much in the fight. Uh, but per- perhaps uh, the, the a turn of a page and a start of a new era for them. Uh, let's 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 take a look at a couple of uh, other results in the top five leagues quickly. Uh, so some some big wins um, this weekend. The of course uh, the biggest uh, of those was uh, Atalanta uh, beating Salernitana eight goals to two, uh, which made Atalanta the first team in uh, this area to score uh, eight goals in twenty seven years. Uh, elsewhere, uh, we had uh, another big win uh, over in France, Monaco beating Ajaxio 7-1. We had Lille beating Troyes 5-1. And uh, so speaking of 5-1, we had uh, Napoli beating Juventus 5-1. The top two in Serie A facing off on Friday night. And Juventus had only uh, conceded about like seven goals all season before this and had eight consecutive wins and eight consecutive league clean sheets. Uh, came up against the league leaders and got absolutely battered. And this was, I saw a lovely start from Opta uh, on Twitter which said, uh, Juventus have conceded five goals uh, in Serie A for the first time since uh, May 1993. And Napoli have scored five against Juventus, uh, the specific opponent, for just the second time in, in the history of the competition. Uh, and the last time was uh, on 20th November 1988. So it looks like a very historic result and potentially something which uh, continues Napoli's historic campaign and uh, as they search for their first league title uh, since 1990. So let's see if they can achieve that, but they're certainly in a great position right now. A nine-point lead uh, over second-place Milan. So uh, that's, of course, another title race to follow, which we'll be keeping you up to speed with. Let's quickly go over a couple of other results. Uh, over in Portugal, uh, we had uh, the, the the Lisbon derby between Benfica and Sporting, which we, of course, mentioned on Friday in, in our preview episode. Uh, that this ended 2-2, a pretty close game. I say I said Benfica were the better side, but they did find themselves trailing uh, twice, uh, so they had to score uh, two equalizers. Both uh, scored by Gonzalo Ramos, who of course you might remember from uh, the World Cup when he scored that hat trick against Switzerland in the round of 16 in his his day his full international debut, I believe it was. And well, uh, I think those who've uh, who've been watching him in the league this season. Uh, we're probably not that surprised because he's absolutely on fire. He's, he's moved into double digits for goals now, 11 goals in 14 games. Uh, and yeah, although Benfica didn't win, uh, they're still uh, at the top of the table, but their lead has been shortened to just four points over Braga and uh, five uh, over Porto. Uh, Sporting are a little bit uh, further below. They're, they're, they are in fourth, but they have a 12-point gap to their uh, local rivals and league leaders. Uh, and let, let's quickly also go over to the other end of the table uh, in Portugal. There's a big result, uh, much sort of like the Strasbourg result, uh, but uh, uh, Patrus de Ferreira, uh, who have been, who, who, who were in Europe actually last season, and uh, they finished around mid-table in the league too. So they probably weren't a side that many would have expected to be in the relegation battle, but, but they've had a horrible campaign. They were winless uh, before this weekend. In fact, they didn't even have a single clean sheet. Uh, just three points from three draws, as you might expect. They changed managers. Uh, Cesar Peik Soto was the was the man who led them into the season. Uh, he was sacked in October. Uh, Jose Mota, who who's a club legend, really. He he's played around 200 games for them. Managed around 300 back in early 2000s. Was appointed in October, but after just seven games in charge, uh, which included four league games, all of which were losses, and uh, three league cup matches which included uh, uh, two draws and a win, but uh, sorry, and a loss, uh, and saw them eliminated from the group stage of the League Cup as well. Uh, he was sacked then, and then guess who was appointed again? It was Peik Soto, he was back. Uh, so he, this was just the second game in charge. Uh, the, the, the last one, last week, he drew, and now he's finally got their first win of the season. So their point star has been tripled 
uh, in just a week. Uh, but of course, they still are at the bottom of the table. Still about six points from the, even the relegation playoff spot, uh, eight from safety. So long way to go, but perhaps uh, again, a, a fresh start for them. Uh, so let's see how that goes. And let's finally go to Mexico, where, of course, the clausura of the 2022-23 season got underway a week or so ago, as we mentioned, uh, League in Liga MX. It was a huge result this weekend. Uh, so Tigres uh, beat uh, defending champions Pachuca by four goals to one. Uh, and Tigres, of course, who are now being managed uh, by Diego Coca, who uh, won those back-to-back titles with Atlas. Uh, Atlas, sorry, last season. It was pretty historic. Um, and he's not, he, he took charge uh, for the start of the clausura uh, this year. And yeah, that's a huge result. They played some really nice football. Uh, as the scoreline shows, they are they outplayed really the defending champions. Uh, and now they are looking for their first league title in four years. Um, of course, they've got some players that uh, even European football fans might have heard of, uh, like so Andre Pierre Gignac, uh, Florian Thauvin, so especially the French players. Uh, there is an interesting squad playing some exciting football, as I said. So let's see how that goes. Of course, this was just the second match day of the Clausura uh, in Mexico. So a long, long way to go. And of course, with the playoffs uh, that decide the title, it's really hard to predict who can win. But of course, that also makes it exciting. So that's another thing uh, we'll be covering. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's about it for the matches we've got. Uh, let, let's move on to some other stuff, uh, including some uh, news, some uh, quick shout outs for some other results and uh, our transfer discussion. So let, let's go on to that. All right. Uh, let's, let's, as I said, let's quickly first go over some other results, uh, which we just really briefly mentioned. Uh, let's start in England. Uh, the obviously huge derbies, both in the Premier League and the Women's Super League. In Premier League, uh, Manchester United beat uh, Manchester City 2 1. Uh, Closed the gap between those two teams to just one point. Gave Arsenal a chance uh, to open up uh, an eight-point gap at the top of the table, uh, which uh, look away, Ben. Uh, they 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 duly took 2-0 against Tottenham. Pretty comfortable win. Uh, and and <laughs> at the same time, uh, they, just a few hours before that, uh, in the Women's Super League, uh, the top two, Arsenal and Chelsea. As I said, I think we'd mentioned this uh, on Friday, three points between them, but... One more game played by Chelsea, so effectively nothing to separate them. And that was the case in the match as well. I thought Arsenal were the better team. They opened the scoring with a contentious penalty call. Of course, no VAR in the WSL. Uh, if it was there, I'm sure that was never going to be given as a penalty because it was quite clearly outside the box, the foul. Uh, but well, uh, I think they deserved the goal on the balance of play. But Sam Curry equalized for Chelsea late on. So another, a 1-1 draw and... The title race continues. And let, let me just quickly mention uh, another uh, WSL result, uh, which is uh, Aston Villa 2-1 Tottenham. A big win for Villa, but uh, that was after uh, the records WSL signing. Uh, Beth England, who moved uh, from Chelsea to Tottenham, uh, made her debut, opened the scoring for Tottenham as well. So scored on debut, uh, but that was not enough for them to come away with anything either in the WSL or in the Premier League. Uh, it's five losses in a row for for Tottenham in the Women's Super League now. It's five losses in a row. Yeah, eighth out of twelfth. So, not a great weekend as a Spurs fan. Well, thankfully you had the other games today to uh, distract yourself. But uh, let's see what else do we have. Uh, Yeah, let's go over to Australia, uh, where Melbourne Victory, who who we've mentioned previously as well, for of course uh, the. I think on Friday itself, because of all the the A League's final decision, and then all the whatever happened in the Melbourne Derby, which has led to sanctions for them and their fans. Uh, but in, in in the midst of all that, uh, team isn't doing particularly well on the pitch either, because they had another draw this time against Adelaide United, which is five winless games for them, and and that's dropped them down to the bottom of the table. So they're not even level on points with anyone anymore. They are plump last. A good news for them is that, of course, there's no relegation uh, in the A-Leagues. So they, they don't risk that really. But of course, Melbourne Victory are a team who want to be competing at the top. They want to be competing for titles. And they're definitely not doing that right now. So a bad, an, another bad weekend for them. But uh, let, let, let's, go, let's, let's go elsewhere. Oh, uh, let's go to Italy. Uh, but not to Serie A, to Serie B. 
uh, where Cagliari beat Como 2 nil, and guess who? Guess who was in charge for them? It was Claudio Ranieri, his first match in charge for Cagliari, uh, who were of course uh, pretty recently up in Serie A, and that's why they have uh, designs at least for promotion, uh, but they're currently right on the fringes of uh, the playoff qualification spot, of which there are lots in Serie A because uh, the teams from 3rd to 8th potentially can qualify for the playoffs so long as they are within 10 points of the team in 3rd. So they are very much uh, in that fight and, and let's see how Ranieri uh, fares at Cagliari. That'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, what else? What else? Mm, we had some uh, championships, uh, some seasons uh, kicking off uh, in uh, the Americas, the Costa Rican, uh, Primera División kicked off. In Brazil, a bunch of their uh, state championships kicked off. Ah, and, and then in Africa, uh, the uh, African Nations uh, Championship, which we mentioned on Friday, kicked off. And uh, we also mentioned Morocco and the, their, their issues uh, with uh, travel and all those things. So they did, in fact, end up not uh, making it to uh, Algeria for the match. Uh, so uh, they... They didn't play, and of course, uh, that meant that Sudan, uh, their opponents, got got all the three points. Uh, but uh, that that tournament is continuing. I think as we're recording, there's a game going on as well, so we'll be keeping an eye on that as well. Uh, let's see. Do we have anything else, uh, guys? Do you have any? Uh, Rafael, do you have anything you want to mention? Yeah, I just want to quickly um, mention Enoch Wepu. Um, mm-hmm. On Sunday, he was rushed to the hospital. And is currently undergoing precautionary checks. Um, it's reported that it's nothing serious, but for a person who was forced to retire at the age of 24 back in October, um, I think it's um, important to highlight his health. And we um, on this pod are all sending our wishes to him and his family. Yeah, definitely hope he gets well soon. Uh, ben, do you, do you have anything? Yeah, definitely thoughts to, to Wepu. Uh, never, never good to hear, but. Um, moving back to Asia, we do have the the semifinal, the semifinals of the uh, Gulf Cup. Uh, one's about to start, but one just finished. Uh, Iraq beat Qatar 2-1. Uh, Iraq's opener was a great, well-worked free kick goal. But then the next two, the Qatar equalizer and then the eventual winner for Iraq were both uh, very horrible defensive blunders by each uh, team. Um, but Iraq, the hosts, now go into the final and they will play the winner uh, of the next match. And it, they're looking for their fourth Golf Cup final, um, the fourth Golf Cup uh, trophy, I should say. So it should be interesting to watch that match coming up later this week as they are the hosts now in the final. Yeah, uh, and as you said, the second match will be kicking off briefly. Uh, I think it features uh, Bahrain uh, and they're up against Oman. So one of those two will be the other finalists. Uh, and as you said, uh, Iraq looking for their fourth title and it'll be their first since 1988. If they do get it, so that's something to keep an eye on. We'll probably cover that on Friday as well. Uh, but I think that's about it for results. L- let's move on to transfers. Uh, not not that much action uh, this weekend actually, but with some done deals uh, and some rumors circling, which we'll quickly discuss. Uh, the big one I'd say was uh, Jorginho Ruter to Leeds United uh, for I think something around forty million euros. Of course, Ruter uh, is a, a forward who, uh, who whose last club was Hoffenheim, uh, and uh, uh, he's what well, I, I don't know how to describe him positionally because he's he's he can play as a striker, can play as a winger, so pretty versatile. Uh, not not a pure number nine, of course, but uh, he he can do a job in in various positions. And yeah, he, he's he's been a really exciting prospect to watch in the Bundesliga. Just twenty years old, uh, great with both feet. Uh, you know, he can he he loves to drift around and get involved in play, uh, even dropping deep or moving out to the wings because of course he can play as a winger and he's he's got a great shot in him. So let's see. Uh, I, just really to add that. I just wanted to add, um, as you said, Ruta. He's only got two goals and two assists in uh, I believe fourteen Bundesliga appearances this season. So he's not a great goal scorer, but how do you say he's probably a, a goal scorer of great goals. Um, yeah, from absolutely. the Bungie, he's seen his goal collection, he does score some really good goals. Um, leads were linked to CDK, Charles de Castellet, who went to Milan in the summer. Um, so they're looking for that kind of second striker, playmaker type of player in that team to probably link up with Bamford 
and Rodrigo. So I think this is a really good deal. Yeah. Uh, I really interested to see how this goes. I, I should mention, I think uh, uh, Alex uh, has uh, he put out a video last week. So I'll probably link that uh, in in the resources thread that I'll do. And that's a great video. So uh, I'd encourage you to watch, to watch that. Let's move on to uh, MLS, where uh, we've got some done deals as well, which we'll talk about. But I first want to talk about uh, a contract extension for uh, Lewis Morgan at the New York Red Bulls. Uh, I'd say Morgan has been their most important player, uh, at least in 2022. Uh, so it's, it's a great deal for them to tie him down till uh, 2025, I believe. Uh, he got, what, 14 goals or something last season. So he was a top scorer and, and chipped in with a few assists as well. Uh, of course, a, a number of them are also penalties, but, but he, he's, he's a pivotal player, I say, for them. Uh, mostly plays as a winger in a uh, back three system. But yeah, certainly one of uh, their key players and, and a great deal for them, uh, even though it's not a transfer, but a great piece of business. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, we, we've got an interesting transfer uh, that Ben's been following uh, from Latvia. What do you have, Ben? Yeah, so uh, Ryman's Krollis uh, is very strongly rumored to be going to Spezia in Syria A from the Vierce League in Latvia, which is uh, one of the, the worst-ranked top divisions in UEFA at the moment. It's also the youngest uh, top division in UEFA as well. Um, he pretty much won almost everything you could plausibly win as a striker this past season, 2022. So his club, Valmiro, he captained them. He led them to their first-ever title. He won the best young player. He won the best striker. He won the best player award as well, top goal scorer. The only thing he missed out on was the Latvian Cup. Um, so really, he's... Uh, he's he's outgrown the league. Uh, he's consistently developed for four years. He's still just 21. Um, and he's a very fascinating player. I'm curious how he's going to do in Serie A. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that's his level at this current moment. I think that could be his potential level, though. It would take a whole pod for me to to go in detail on him as a player and, and especially the Bierstliga. But quickly, a great goal scorer in terms of scoring the chances he's supposed to make. He's supposed to score in terms of his XG for the past four years in the league. He's scored pretty much his expected goals, which for a developing striker to me as a data person, I like to see that. If you saw in the Fierce Liga, he was scoring 30 goals from 20 XG. You have questions. Can he can he finish against better keepers? Um, his The reason he can score so many is his movement. That's his, his number one asset in my mind is his movement in and around the penalty box. Uh, in subtle changes based on where the ball is, as well as where the players are, the defenders. Uh, so watch out for that. If he does play anything, uh, his his penalty box movement to either score and get open or to potentially draw other players out of position, as well as in his progression from deep, which I think could really be a key asset for Spezia if they do take him uh, and play him even in the last 20 minutes of games to potentially relieve pressure and either score an equalizer uh, uh, after moving the ball up the pitch or maybe even a winner. Um, I think he's got a lot to him. It'll be very interesting to watch him develop in such a, a drastically different league. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting to follow. I think that it's rumored to be 900,000 uh, euros uh, as a fee plus an added 600. So up to 1.5 million, which for the Beers Liga, for a Latvian player in the Beers Liga is, is mental. So it should be very fun to watch to see if if this deal does go through. He's supposed to fly to Italy next week and then follow him and his development going forward. Yeah, I think you, you've been following him for quite a while. I remember before the World Cup, probably you you've done a big old thread on him. I, I'll probably link that. As yeah, well. and I just wrote a like a big detailed report on him as a player and stuff. Mm -hmm. So so definitely okay. give that a read too if you want to learn more about. Uh, Kroll is as a player in general more than again he's more than just the goal scoring if if someone bought him for goal scoring it's a mistake they're going to buy him for movement progression stuff like that yeah really interesting move as you say uh, what else do we have we've got ah, an interesting move uh, in Brazil we've got Kaiki who's of course a really highly rated talent uh, he was signed by Manchester City uh, in 2021 uh, from Fluminense uh, this of course uh, he didn't play for City directly, although he, he spent some time with uh, their uh, EDS, their elite development squad. Uh, but then uh, the start of this season, he was sent out on loan uh, to Patos de Ferreira, who, of course, we mentioned uh, just briefly earlier in this podcast. I, I, as you might have guessed, they didn't have the best of season, and that's probably a part of the reason why Kaiki's loan didn't go 
do well. So I think he was meant to be on loan uh, for the whole season, but uh, City called him back. And instead, they sent him over to Bahia, who uh, are, of course, a Brazilian team, uh, a, a really historic team, but they've been promoted. Uh, th- so, sorry, they were in the lower tiers uh, recently, but they have been promoted back to the top flight, uh, where they'll be playing, uh, of course, after the state championships, so towards the second half of the year. Uh, but yeah, an interesting move. Uh, hopefully, this helps Kaiki get his development back on track because the, the, that, the last loan move really didn't work out for him. He barely got any game time and didn't really impress either. So hopefully, in more familiar surroundings, uh, back in Brazil, uh, he should be able to uh, once again show the, the, the incredible talent that he possesses, which is why, of course, he bought him in the first place. Uh, we've, we've got another uh, similar loan move uh, for a talented player who didn't quite work out in a top league. Uh, I'm talking about Hugo Sique, who's uh, gone from Freiburg to Cercle Brugge on loan. Uh, Ben's been following Sique. Uh, what do you make of this move, Ben? Yeah, so it definitely comes after um, CK. So he moved about a year ago, this time in 2022, to, to Freiburg and from Stein Liège. Definitely was uh, a very talented and hot prospect at the time within Belgium. Um, he's just 20 still. Uh, so he was 19 at the time that he moved to Freiburg. Didn't really get any minutes. So in total, he's played more for their second team in uh, the Dritto Liga than he has for the first team. Uh, he's in total made... 36 minutes uh, in the Bundesliga for Freiburg. So it's really not worked out. He hasn't been able to, to, to make a mark yet to get into that side. Um, and so he comes back. I would probably just to be able to prove himself uh, that, that he's he's still got it, right? So he's going to move to Serkla. And I, I think he does. He's got a lot about him. as a, He's a right back, uh, a very attack-minded right back that can also defend pretty well, um, at least before he moved, right? So he's going to have to show... Um, that he hasn't lost anything, that he's still able to make these appearances and that he can still develop. And I think this will be good for him to be able to to actually get some minutes under his belt because he has barely played even for the second team of Freiburg this season as well. So it's been um, a lot of time just training without competitive minutes that, that he's going to need as, as a 20-year-old, you need those minutes. So um, we'll see where this goes, if he can do well and maybe try to get in the Freiburg team or if Freiburg's cut their losses and and have to sell them on because it just didn't work out for them. Yeah, and of course, uh, for Circle as well, and, and, and a really good transfer of a player who's undoubtedly talented as, as they challenge for uh, the second playoff. They're just four points behind them, uh, behind uh, the second eighth place, which is the second playoff spot, uh, up in 10th. So they're having a fairly good season. And, uh, well, these are the sort of players they need to just move that, to get that slight push to the level above. So uh, let's see how that move goes. Uh, what else do we have? Hmm, let's go. Let's go back in uh, MLS, where there's been a transfer away. Uh, John uh, Duran uh, of uh, the Chicago Fire uh, has uh, moved to Aston Villa in the Premier League for uh, something around uh, 20, 22 million US dollars. So something like 20 million euros, give or take. A really interesting transfer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if Willa are going to put him straight in the first team when they have strikers like uh, Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins. But D- Duran's been pretty impressive, uh, of, of at least what I saw of him uh, last season. Just 19 years old, uh, Colombian international already. Uh, he played about 27 games uh, for the Chicago Fire in MLS last season. About Almost a half and half split between starts and appearance of the bench. And and he, he got into double digits for goal involvement. So, Eight goals and three assists, which is a pretty impressive tally. And, and his underlying numbers look just about as impressive uh, with, I think, exactly eight XG according to Opta anyway. So a, a very exciting prospect uh, moving from MLS, which is now really starting to establish itself as a league where young players can develop and get moves to the big leagues in Europe. So a, a, a nice move. Uh, and I'll be keen to see uh, how, how he fares uh, probably in England, but probably if not for Will, if he's sent on loan wherever he goes. But an, an interesting transfer to keep an eye on. Uh, and yeah, we did have a couple of major done deals uh, about Vejos on loan to Manchester United, uh, Mikhail Mudrik uh, to Chelsea for <laughs> 100 million euros, uh, which uh, we did discuss these potential transfers last week. So we, we will we'll not really be getting into them, but 
just wanted to mention the run deals and also wanted to mention uh, the fact that uh, Shakhtar's uh, CEO announced that he would uh, be uh, using a part uh, of uh, the, the transfer fee that uh, Mudrik got, uh, something around uh, 20 million euros, I believe. And he, he'd be donating that uh, to uh, the, the Ukrainian army, of course, as they still face uh, the Russian invasion. Uh, and of course, it, that this comes just this about a day or so after uh, Ukraine lost their uh, CAS appeal uh, against FIFA over the, the lost transfer fees when uh, the FIFA ruling allowed uh, foreign players in the Ukrainian Premier League to leave on loan to other clubs uh, at the start of the invasion. Uh, but e- even at such a time uh, where finances are certainly tough for Shakhtar, uh, that, that I think that's a great move uh, from them. Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it for uh, the transfers we've got. Uh, let's really quickly look ahead to what we've got coming up in this week. Once again, bunch of cup ties, uh, cups in England, in Spain, Italy, Turkey, Greece, uh, a cup semi-final in Egypt, uh, and a cup final uh, in Israel, uh, of their Toto Cup, which is uh, their main cup competition. Uh, we've got uh, the final uh, between, I think it is, uh, Mac- uh, Maccabi uh, Netanya, if I'm saying that right, uh, and Hapoel Beersheva, who most of us have probably heard of, uh, given their uh, European pedigree. So that, that'll be an interesting game uh, to follow. I think that is uh, on, uh, I think, two days from when we're recording. So that's on Wednesday. Uh, and... Yeah, what else do we have? We've got uh, oh, we've got a league restarting in Croatia after uh, the their winter break. So the Croatian top side will be back, and I think the first team kicking off are the bottom club uh, Gorica, uh, and then obviously I think it's just a, a one-off game uh, because they've played uh, possibly a postponed game. I'm assuming because they've played one fewer game than the teams around them, and then uh, we'll have full round of fixtures back. Uh, from the weekend and uh, we've also got full rounds of fixtures uh, in Belgium and Scotland uh, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on those uh, filling you in with any major results and of course uh, as we alluded to previously the final of the Gulf Cup which we'll definitely be discussing uh, on Friday but that's about it for this episode many thanks for tuning in many thanks for listening uh, big thank you to Ben and Rafael for your time guys uh, and yeah we'll, as I said we'll see you on Friday when we mainly look ahead to the weekend and also go over some of these matches. Uh, Till then, uh, take care and enjoy the football. Bye.